Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, you are very welcome to The Tonight Show. Another day, another grilling at the Oireachtas. RTE execs face politicians as the interim director general says it's possible concerns had been raised with Ryan Tuberty before he stood down from the late late. Okay, so Ryan Tuberty could well have been um, informed by somebody that this process um, had, or these concerns had been raised. Based, uh, have, yep. Based on the information from okay. yesterday, Did, it's, it's, it's possible. Also tonight, Paris erupts in fury after the shooting dead of a 17-year-old boy by police. And we'll have the very latest from the French capital. To join our conversation online with your comments and your questions, it's hashtag tonight VMTV. begin with another extraordinary day in the Doyle. The Public Accounts Committee grilled RTE executives over the Ryan Tuberty payment scandal for a second day. Among the revelations, they heard it was possible that the scandal influenced Ryan Tuberty's decision to step down from the Late Late Show, while the chair of the RTE board described the payments as an act to deceive. It was now or never for RTE after they failed to allay concerns yesterday. The pressure was well and truly on. Today they came with a marked change in tone about the Tuberty payment scandal. I am appalled as to how payments were recorded and presented in the RTE accounts. It appears to me that this was an act designed to deceive. Shuni Rahali promising a raft of changes, including publishing the list of the top 100 earners in the broadcaster, a register of interests for presenters, and reviewing whether RTE will ever work with agents again. Can I say something about the use of the word talent? Words matter, and the term as it is currently used reinforces a them and us culture in RTE. The first step in culture and change is to consign this term to the dustbin. Yesterday, Adrian Lynch sought to avoid attributing a motive to the labelling of invoices as consultancy fees. Today, he slammed it and said it was possible the former Late Late host could have been aware of concerns ahead of his departure. So he came in with the public purse and filled in the gap. That's Correct. what happened. That's appalling. It's absolutely appalling. I totally agree. OK, so Ryan Tuberty could well have been um, informed by somebody that this process um, had, or these concerns had been raised. Based, uh, have, yep. based on the information from okay. yesterday, did, it's, it's, it's possible. But how and why did RTE arrive at this juncture? The chief financial officer was peppered with questions with very few answers. Yeah, I was concerned, but I knew the director general concerned. had a close relationship with... Director with no care. So it's okay because of that? Well, it wasn't okay. okay. The, the, the transaction had occurred at this stage. 
I was answering, I was providing an explanation as part of the audit to Deloitte. Your explanation here is ridiculous. Yeah. After the chair of the board committed that all executive salaries would be published, a moment of severe discomfort and anger. How much are you paid as, as chief finance officer? <laughs> I think that's a private matter. I don't know what my exact salary is off the top of my head. But, but, but I can give you. I, no, I can give you. Absolutely outrageous. Give you an Chief yeah. financial officer of RT can't tell us what he's paid. Am I supposed to buy that? After another four hours of testimony and questions, the matter is still far from closed. Richard Chambers, Virgin Media News. Well, let's bring in my panel. I'm joined by Jack Horgan-Jones, political reporter at the Irish Times, News Talk host Andrea Gilligan, Fine Gael TD, Colin Burke, and Independent TD, Verona Murphy. You're all very welcome to the programme. I'm going to start with you, Jack. So the day started off with the Taoiseach saying that Ryan Tuberty, Dee Forbes and Noel Kelly should be allowed to tell their sides of the story should come before Oireachtas committees. The Taoiseach is saying that RTE needed to get a grip, he said. We needed greater transparency. And you have to say there was a different tone at the committee today, wasn't there? Absolutely. And it should be acknowledged that there was a marked change in tone when RT went in this morning. They kind of ditched the original approach, which was to basically bring all the focus onto one person, which was Dee Forbes. And there was an acknowledgement, I think, in Adrian Lynch's opening statement, at least of collective responsibility. And then Sheena Ratley came up. She had that incredible uh, phrase describing it as an act to deceive. And she was talking about, uh, about, about you know, the need for systemic kind of cultural change. And Adrian Lynch also talking about overhauling um, or, or reconstituting, I think, was the, was the word that he used. He said that Kevin Backers was going to come in and reconstitute the executive board. So that was getting us some way down the road to the type of kind of serious minded reforms that the government, I think, and the public have been looking for. But I think that, you know, if that was the, 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 the early high point it was a catastrophic downhill after that for our Yeah, team. I wonder, given the fact that they'd gone in there with a different mindset today, that there was going to be more openness and a bit more clarity about things and perhaps a bit more responsibility taken by people about their role in all of this, would they have been pleased at all with how today went? No, no. It was a, it was a catastrophe. It really was. Um, you could take your pick of any one of probably 10 or 11 incredible revelations that came out today, which I think just deepened the sense that there is a real credibility problem attaching to this group of executives in particular who uh, were in charge through this period and are now effectively saying to the government and to the public, we're the people who can lead the broadcaster out of this. You look at, for example, you know, the, uh, the, the detail that came out around when the chief financial officer went to D Forbes after the initial transactions have been queried and she sought to, in his telling, explain this away as consultancy fees uh, provided by uh, Noel Kelly. And there was no mention of, uh, of the fact that these fees were going to, to Ryan Tuberty. And that in turn set and, set and trained this cascading series of events that led us here. There were also things that were actually only tangential to the Ryan Tuberty story, but I think that will really tarnish the reputation even further in the public mind. The revelations of what the barter account, which is now freely being called a slush fund, is being used for six-figure sums, taking people to the Rugby World Cup, buying 10-year tickets for the, from the IRFU and going to the Champions League final. Again, it's tangential and probably relatively common in the corporate world, but RT is not a normal corporate actor in this. It's public money. And this will deepen, I think, the sense 
if people had it already mm. of you know extravagant perks for a gilded elite elite out of Montrose and it's very difficult I think to come back from that all the way through and from the start of this week I think the government of the coalition has been looking for a way to put a floor under this controversy and none is appearing. Okay, I want to come back to that barter account a little later, um, but I just want to come to some of the changes, I suppose, that were promised at RTD, RTD today, Andrea. First of all, this publication of not just the top 10 earners, on-air earners, but the top 100 earners in RTD. There was a little bit of reticence, but I think that was promised by the chair. Plus, this publication of a register of interests. So any side gigs any freebies, any extras, all going to be put out there. Is that over the top, do you think? Or is that the level of transparency that the public now needs? I actually would, would reckon that the public probably think that's already the case. Um, it certainly is. Like, you have a register of interests, um, certainly for politicians, even mm. councillors at local authority level. I would, I would reckon that the public probably think, uh, particularly where you have public service uh, broadcasters working, I think, very much so in the area of news and current affairs. Um, I would think the public would, you know, reckon that is already happening. It's a big change to move from publishing, uh, publicising the top ten broadcasters, top ten earners, uh, particularly of on-air, ta- you know, the on-air, on-air faces and names. I'd stay away from that word talent. Yeah, I think talent <laughs> has been gone. put in the dustbin where it belongs. Yeah, a terrible be word. Clear. But um, but it's a big it's a big shift to go from the top ten to the top one hundred. I mean, I was wondering myself during the week where is number eleven and even to the top thirty. But like you know, you're you're probably talking about a significant number of people uh, earning over six figures, even figures from one hundred and fifty to to maybe up to about one hundred and eighty thousand euro. Um, and I think this is the level of transparency that is going to be required to rebuild the trust. And the trust is something that we have heard talk about so much this week here. We've heard it from colleagues when we, we saw um, staff protest outside, you know, at Montrose uh, earlier this week as well. And I think this actually is needed to, to rebuild trust. And I think in particular, this register of interest um, will certainly aid in, in getting there as well. And it's even things like, because a big part of this discussion all week has been talk about, you know, cars and deals with cars and sponsorship. And, and yes, people, you know, they can have commercial deals if they're contractors beyond their, their salary that they're in receipt of. But I think the public are probably entitled to know where these deals are at. Well, Shunya Rally seemed to suggest this idea of the broadcasters, the on-airs being contractors is gone. They're all going to become staff. They're going to move away, she said, from the idea of using an agent. Do you think that'll happen? I think it will. I mean, I think it happens in, in other organisations um, where, you know, on-air presenters will negotiate their own deals, you know, with, with Directly management. with management. Absolutely. Um, I know in, in, in my own case, I mean, I, I work in commercial radio, but I negotiate my own deal with, with the company that I work for. So, I mean, I, I don't think there'd be a big issue in just saying we don't deal with, with agents, with third parties, happens in other organisations. All right, Colin Burke, one of the um, other talking points today was that Adrian Lynch said that the new DG, the incoming DG, Kevin Backhurst, will be reconstituting the executive board. What should that look like, do you well, think? Well, I think the first thing RT has to do is win back the confidence in the general public. Now, this will take quite a bit of time because, you know, we openly talked today this barter account is a slush uh, fund and I gave the definition of the slush fund today and it's interesting how Maya Doherty, who was chair of the board previously, wasn't aware of this fund 
And, you know, the description Which I gave... Which raises <coughs> questions in itself. Oh, it does, yeah. But the, I think the definition is quite clear. It's a reserve of money held secretly by a company that has no accountability for its use. And that's exactly what was happening with this barter account. So this is a slush fund. That's the definition by Black's um, law uh, dictionary of what a slush fund is. And that's exactly what was happening here, where there was €115,380 paid, paid in to this slush fund in order that 75000 could be paid to Brian Tuberty. Now, the question is, why was there a handling fee of €40,380 for to manage 75000 And say, I have a legal office, and you come in to me in the morning and you say, I want to, uh, to pay 75000 to Jack. And I said, that's fine. Give me the cheque, I'll put it into my client account, and then I'll pay him out 75000 But I want €40,380 to do it. It sounds crazy that this was going on for quite a period of time. Okay, and even issue, though I think it is widely accepted these barter accounts are used in the media and but, advertising world. But what's words. accepted practice doesn't say that it should be checked from time to time. And I can go okay, back... Okay, back to just the issue there of <clears throat> reconstituting the executive board. And Jack there was talking about building trust and questions about how this board has operated um, over the last number of years. What should a reconstituted board look like? Well, I think a reconstituted board will certainly have to have the expertise in relation to both on the accountancy side and the legal side, and also about how to win public confidence and making sure that there is full accountability by all departments within RTE. I think those making... positions are already on the board. So are you talking about external people or what are you talking I, I about? I think we, we may very well need to have an external person brought in in relation to the audit committee. For instance, that's not unusual in, in, in companies. So that's one of the issues that can be done. There's a number of things that can be done. But first of all, we have to get over all of getting all. We need to get all the answers that are still outstanding here. And that is going to take a further period of time because remember, there's another report due back into us within four weeks. So we have to wait for that. And But I think there's a lot of work to be done. And it's important that it starts this, uh, uh, immediately. OK, um, Verona, I'm going to come to you in just one moment, but I just want to show people at home RTE's Chief Financial Officer Richard Collins um, speaking about that barter account today. And he laid out some of the events that it was used for. Yeah, there was 10-year IRFU tickets bought for, uh, well, they cost through the barter company 138,000. 138,000 euros of taxpayers' money. Through a barter account. Can you give us one more example? Um, well, the Champions League final in 2019, 26,000. Uh, Verona, what did you make of those particular revelations? Well, look, at I think from the perspective of spending 138,000 of public money when we currently have very long waiting lists in hospitals, many of our disability services not funded, people going to jail for not paying a television licence. It's outrageous. But I think the reality is we have a lot of information to get. Why were they supplying or buying 10-year tickets for Rugby International's Champions League? They said they were bringing uh, clients RTE yeah. are a public service broadcaster. They, they are really a public service broadcaster, correct. but they also have this commercial, commercial element. And I is think, this not part and parcel well, of I any think business that has a commercial element? Well, for well I think anyone would think that it was two separate organisations. It's actually the one organisation, but it seems like never the twain shall meet. And that's the impression I got for the Absolutely. past two days, that there is <clears> no relationship between commercial 
an editorial. Yeah. And that's a significant issue. I mean, these are all, including, and then we have the board, as we call it, the honorary board, or I'm not sure what you call it. There are two boards, an executive board and the board. And I think the reality here is none of the three are talking to one another. The commercial entity has dropped its income base by somewhere around I think they were talking about 25 to 30 percent. It used to be around the 50-50 years ago. Then it rose to 85-15, and now it's back down to less than 45 percent, the commercial end. So which means that we're on the hook as the taxpayers for 50 percent, which is in excess of two, just 200 million funding for RTE. And I think 223 million actually is what they received last year from so you don't, fees. So you don't believe in any of this sort of whining and dying commercial clients? I think the reality is, is like, we go into RTE, I don't even be, I'm not even asked if I'd like a cup of coffee. And I have no problem with that. I'm there as a public representative to do a job. And I think there has to be some restructuring whereby there is accountability. Now, I asked today, and I asked uh, Robert Scott, who is the representative for the employees, what he thought accountability would Robert look Short. like. Robert yeah. Short, excuse me. And he didn't have an answer. But accountability has to be when somebody is responsible for what has happened. And this is a scheme said by Shewan O'Reilly, the chair of the board, to, to deceive. Right, Andrew, you want to yeah. deceive. Just on that, like client and corporate entertainment, is, it's, it's not, that's not a new revelation today. I think what really struck people from, from watching um, the Public Accounts Committee, it's, it's very much clear that the question is, seems to never have been asked, is it value for money? So whatever about this IRFU 10-year um, uh, ticket that was bought and Champions League matches and, you know, and, and uh, uh, Bono, I think, or U2 at Crow Park was, was mentioned as well and other gigs. It's the, it was the mention, I think, at the point of having a dinner in a restaurant in Drumcondra and then a bus company hired in to shuttle people from a restaurant in Drumcondra to Crow Park. If this was a private company, if, if anybody here was running this as a private entity, there's no way a financial officer would have signed off in a private organisation on a bus to be hired in to shuttle people from Drumcondra to Crow Park. It's the question around, is it value for money? You can entertain client, absolutely. But is, it, but is there value for money in it? That's okay. the question, Smith. Uh, one of the other, sorry, just let you yeah. in there, Colin, briefly. Yeah, and I think as well the fact that there was no control over how that money was managed. And also, was there actually any gain by spending all of this money? The accountant, you know, the financial controller, had no idea of what was being spent, where it was being spent, mm. and who it was being spent on. But and it's, it's only now yeah. that it's beginning to come in under his it's, control. Uh, speaking of the financial crawler, one of the, I think, awkward moments today was when Richard Collins was questioned about his own wage. Was that a fair line of questioning, do you think, Jack? I think so, yeah. I think, like, ultimately, I mean, I know there is a commercial element of the RT income and a taxpayer-funded one, but, like, the taxpayer-funded one is, is significant. This guy's salary is funded to a large extent by... Um, by the taxpayer, and also he was on screen more than most other members of the executive board and his discharging of his functions as CFO as it related to the scandal itself was under extreme scrutiny. So I think it's absolutely legitimate that you'd ask this guy what his salary is. And I thought what was even more interesting is that he didn't seem to be prepared for it. And that speaks to a wider naivety maybe within 
RTE as to you know the extent to which they were going to be held accountable because he he was asked about it he kind of looked to his left and right he he, he said it was a private matter and then this really damaging moment where he couldn't even remember his own salary and alongside things like that slush fund even though again it's tangential to the Tuberty payment scandal it'll travel it'll remain in people's minds and it'll just and it just raises questions. It raises, it raises, it raises questions, questions about how about, it operates. But there's also the question about the fact that there was an invoice, consultants' fees. Now, you know, to have that gone through without saying what were the consultants' fees for, every organisation would make sure that there's detail in that. And the fact that... Even if you're being told to do, be, yeah. to do that by the yeah, CEO but, or but the it, DG it, in this but, case. But, but it was we interesting how, you know, when auditors go in to do a, a 12 months accounts, remember there's a huge volume of documentation. And in fairness to the auditors, they identified this invoice and started raising questions immediately. So it's interesting how they identified it and the financial controller or his staff should have identified it. Okay, or, or, just... or, or that when, when, when it was effectively flagged, he said, I took comfort from the fact that this kind of came with the blessing of the Director General. And that harks back to something that we heard yesterday. This kind of... Uh, this, deference this, uh, was the word used. Yeah, this deference. Well, and that's something that Sheena Rowley called out as well and certainly wasn't pushing back on. And I think that that, recognising factors like that within the corporate culture and kind of trying to root them out and reform them is part of the project that needs to start now. I just want to, we to, had to move on when the case time this morning where, for instance, public accounts this morning where someone has stepped aside as a financial officer in another organisation and they were in before us in public accounts at half nine this morning. And but, but as a result of they coming into public accounts, an issue was identified. All right, look, I just want to move <clears> on to... Um, some other revelations today, particularly <clears throat> about um, Ryan Tuberty and whether or not he had any inkling that there was questions being raised about this commercial deal <clears throat> prior to his decision to stand down from the Late Late Show. He said in his statement, I looked at that statement again this evening, he said, it had no bearing on my decision to step down from the Late Late Show, Andrea, but we still don't know when he knew that there were questions being raised. No, but it was asked by one of the PAC committee members today, um, certainly around whether there was the possibility or the potential that uh, Ryan Tuberty, that this may or may not have been I don't know, flagged was the right word, but but certainly if he had been aware. Because the auditors, um, I think, raised the, the alarm the on the 7th yeah. of March. Yeah. And it was the date. following week yeah. that, that his resignation was... Was, was the following week, yeah. Um, and the question was certainly asked today as to whether or not there was the potential that, that Mr Tulberty um, could have been made aware of this issue regarding the €75,000 or the consultancy fee note. Um, and I think it was Adrian Lynch, wasn't it? Yes. The interim, yeah, um, officer today who had said that I think he played the clip earlier on that there was, you know... It was possibly, a possibility. Possibly, and I suppose yeah. we don't know because we and haven't we don't heard know. from Ryan and, at this and, point. And I suppose where the clarity will come from this, and again, it was even raised with um, the Taoiseach in Brussels today, was the invite being extended to mm. Ryan Tuberty, um, to his agent, to Noel Kelly and to Dee Forbes, um, and to whether or not they'll appear before the Public Accounts Committee now remains uh, to be seen, but, but that's where the clarity will come from. Verona, should he appear in front of the Public Accounts Committee, do you think? Well, I think, first of all, we have to invite him. And if he do, we do have compelability on if he turns down the invite, we can compel him. But Would do, you compel him? Well, well I think there, because he was taken off air, and I want to be very clear, I don't know Ryan Tuberty. I met him once at, a, at something that I was at with young science students. I, I have, I'm not defending him, but I do believe that he has the right to make himself heard in all of this, as does Dee Forbes and as does uh, Kelly, if he needs to. But I think the reality here is 
we have to stop scapegoating people in big mm. organisations that are funded by the state. <clears throat> this is where it went with Shane Core in the HSE. We ended up with information that was vital to the public purse, but he was scapegoated because he had obtained that information at a meeting which he wasn't supposed okay, to. Okay, and I don't know, now, I don't know who, who, is, who is saying, and I don't want to get into that no, issue no, today I because we don't have that person here, but who is saying that Ryan Tuberty is it has been scapegoated here? Well, I think this, uh, in I essence, think Verona, yesterday. Verona was the one who was saying Well, I think yesterday, today, if you I, look at... I think at, you're referring to Steve Forbes. I'm talking about the three names that were right. mentioned. I mean, today you saw with Richard Collins, he implicated a, a close relationship with D Forbes and Nick Kelly. That's what he said. There was a, he believed there was a rather close relation. I think the reality here is this was a scheme devised by RTE. Yes, Ryan Tuberty had knowledge, but RTE held the checkbook. And you were right, Andrea, oh. when you said there was no risk assessed when that agreement was made. But it's not as just about, as we, as we know, Verona, uh, it's not just about, it's about the, the agreement. Purse. It's also about the fact that, the, boils... that the wages, the salary no, was I'm, published well, uh, in my to the public for six as a years member of the Public Accounts correct. Committee, it's... it comes down to value for money and the public purse. The and no world. risk was assessed of whether or not, if Renault pulled out of that, who would pay it? In the same way, there was no risk assessment when... Mm. Uh, Adrian Lynch made the decision, along with the director of content, to remove Ryan Tuberty from his radio show. Well, and, okay. we've had and, this and a discussion. lot of people would understand from an editorial point of view, I think, mm. Jack Horgan Jones, why RTE um, made that particular decision. Yeah, my own, my own view is that there is a, a firm and uh, editorial reasoning behind that. Like, if you are the story, you can't go on and host the show. It's something else. If you're a guest and you want yeah. to make mm -hmm. an appearance and do an interview about your involvement in the story, but like being, you know, presenting yourself as an honest broker, which is not to say he's not an honest mm -hmm. broker, but certainly when you're the centre of this controversy that has been all-consuming in a way that we haven't seen a news story become all-consuming, like in some time, I think it's impossible. So I think there's a, there's a good editorial justification for it. You know, I and I think there's an understanding when you are the presenter that if you become the story that you step aside until the story is Well, he's the one cleared. who said he wanted to do his radio show. But given that there were three statements from Ortiz to say there was no wrongdoing, there was nothing illegal about what happened, they took him off the radio, which implies that he has... Some no, no, I think what it implies is that it's very difficult editorially for somebody to stay on there when they the are. And, and you, would, you would agree with that. How do you do yeah. the news? Well, well, I think when you we're are paying the newspaper. out all right. vast sums of money to pay for that mistake, we'll all have to see, do we understand it as well? Okay, all right, we're going to have to leave that there for now. Lots more on this after the break with our panel, so do stay with us. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. burrow.com slash ACAST. 
You're very welcome back. Jack Horgan-Jones and Ray Gilligan, Colin Burke and Verona Murphy are still with me. And I am also joined by communications specialist uh, Gina London. Gina, you're very welcome to the programme. Why do you think this particular story, this particular controversy has caught public attention to the point that it is still leading every single news bulletin, every single newspaper, every single website eight days later? Because it touches everybody in this country who happens to have a television, who have ever watched The Late Late, who ever has watched The Toy Show. I remember when I very first moved to Ireland the first year, I was told by the other parents in my mother's, in my daughter's school, you have to watch it, this, this program. I'd never heard of it. I'd never heard of this program and this entity that is Ryan Tuberty. And the idea that you've got a charismatic personality, I won't say talent, and you have an institution which is supported in part by a required license fee, and that you've got concealed payments. So it's subterfuge, it's, there's a charismatic person, and you've got every single person who has a television who's required to make this pay feel like they were duped, that they were not being told the real story. Okay. And when you've got a crisis, which is what's happening at RTE, I'm actually surprised that there hasn't been from March, when the first ripples of it came, the pre-crisis planning what was the discussion in the culture like in that organization? When the crisis hit last week, why is RTE still appearing, even after the change in today's appearances, still to be on the back foot of not doing role play or response preparation or getting the timeline, who knew what, when, and stop passing blame? When an institution loses credibility, everybody in the vortex needs to have some pain. Um, in terms of um, other things that we learned today, uh, Verona, one of the things we learned was Patrick Keelty's uh, salary, which is going to be €250,000 for 30 shows. And to be clear, I think Ryan Tuberty did 37 shows. That's what his um, payment was based on. The fact that he has come clean with that, that he has waived €50,000 of expenses, have you any issue with that payment? No, I don't have an issue with that payment. And particularly, I think we have to pay people if we're going to recruit. But um, and that was negotiated, I'm sure, on the terms of his history or his own uh, CV in relation to presenting. We saw how many people were in the race, or at least we thought they were in the race, and pulled out of the race. So, I mean, I don't think by the standards what we pay and what we see overseas and what's paid, that they're extravagant. I was impressed that he waived his uh, air and travel expenses and he's looking for them to be carbon uh, offset. offset. So I think, look, at, we, we, are, we know we have to pay people. If we don't pay people, you just don't recruit them. It's as simple as that. And you're you, the comfortable old, with the level of that salary? Well, well, I think the old adage, you pay peanuts, you get monkeys. I, I am not even saying that the level of salary at any stage, we just need to be transparent. We Like, personalities like yourself, Kira. you can't walk down the street anymore without being somebody. You are Kira off the TV. It's as simple as that. It's not that big a problem, well, to be well, honest. Well, I'm sure <laughs> it's, it's not, not and if you life. had the salary to go with it. But, I mean, there are differences in how people are paid at that level I and th I when think, their personality. I think what matters in terms of the Patrick Keelty uh, salary disclosure, and particularly the, the, fact, the fact that he waived uh, the fees, I think there will be a small sigh of relief in RTE that this is another 
potential avenue of controversy that hasn't ignited. And I think yeah. that if you look at the other RTE top 10 paid uh, presenters or on-air people, not talent, um, the, what, the fact that they were able to come out in the early part of the week and say, you know, my figure, my published figure is accurate and I'm, I'm not benefited from any side deals. Again, it's a minor reprieve, I think, you know, that these haven't metastasized into, into controversies in and of themselves. But like, look, it's, it's pleas and mitigation at this stage. It doesn't, it doesn't absolve uh, the, the controversy around the Tuberty pay deal and it certainly doesn't end it. You know, I think this is no, only going see, to go, grow and grow. Yeah, yeah we see this results. evening, uh, Andrea, I suppose, Centre Parks, who were the sponsors of the Ryan Tuberty radio show, coming out and saying they are not going to renew their sponsorship. That is going to be a real difficulty now for RTE too, isn't it? Uh, yeah, look, I mean, I, I would have thought... Um, Ryan Tuberty would, you know, absolutely, no question about it, be back behind the the, the mic in, in Radio 1 and the, the blue pop shield, you know. I suppose as the, the week has gone on, it's not to say that, that he wouldn't be, but um, I suppose as the week has gone on and the different details emerged around in contract, out of contract, you know, I, I think... I think it's, it's um, the news tonight just before we came on air regarding uh, Centre Parks and the story in, in the journal about that. I think it definitely changes the tone a little bit. Um, I think it's going to really, you know, kind of elongate how long this whole Saga. controversy is going to is going to continue as well. Um, I just wonder how long the government can sit back on this, to be honest. Like, without sending uh, without, an external person they do, in. They do have powers. Catherine mm. Martin, under um, the 2011 Act, I think it is, has powers to, to appoint a relevant person, I think the term is. And I wonder at what point do we arrive there? You know, at what point do they say, right, OK, Someone needs to grab this by the scruff of the neck. Okay, and well, certainly, if, if, not by, if not by their involvement in the immediate controversy themselves, you know, the the legacy of this week, the statement that went out on Tuesday night went down like a lead balloon, compounded by Wednesday's um, by Wednesday's uh, committee appearance. Again, got worse in the round, we have to be frank today. So, like, who amongst that number can credibly okay, step well, forward and I say it's okay, me? Okay, Colin, I'll, I'll I'm going to ask you that question. I think question. there has to be a number of um, major changes in RT over the next few weeks. You know, that has to be looked at to see what's the best way forward. But I think the big concern now with RTE is about will there be a loss of revenue into the organisation? And then that has the knock on effect then of will people, and in particular people in the lower end, who will nearly automatically get pushed out of the organisation. And, you know, this is what we need to be very careful of as well that the we need to be carefully managed. If the government has to step in in one way or the other, then it has to be given serious consideration about you know, bringing in the expertise that appears not to be there at the moment as regards how to manage this issue. OK, how would they step in? Well, the, the, the minister does have powers under the legislation they, that's there. Can they appoint an, an ombudsman? To oversee. I think they, yeah, they can, can appoint they, an external can, person. Then, I'm just well, wondering, um, Gina, in terms of, of you know when an organisation is engulfed by a controversy and a crisis like this, and we have seen it in other news organisations in other countries, what did they do to sort of right the wrong and to restore that trust that is so in, important? To use journalistic terms, they have to get in front of the story. And right now they're in responsive mode, they're not in proactive mode. They, yeah. the, the entire organization needs to get together, and I mean the, the upper echelon, because they're the ones making the decisions. And they need to have a, they, would, they should have a town hall meeting. They shouldn't have the NUJ protesting in front of it. They should have everybody together to let, this going to be painful and difficult, but the best way to have people feel seen and heard is to see them and to hear them. Is it often about a change of personnel? Yes. Does that there needs to be a clean sweep, yes. They're damaged, they're they, they, That's where I said the people in the vortex 
all need to feel some pain. I don't know if it's all losing your job. I was just going to say, to Colin's point, just on on the the point around, you know, the concern, and that is an issue uh, among um, morale for staff at the moment, is if there's commercial funds, you know, no longer available, um, what happens in in terms of looking at the finances? The one thing that cannot happen, Kieran, I know from chatting to the public this week on the show, is that there, you know, an increase to the licence fee is going to do absolutely nothing. No, I can't imagine there's a huge appetite for that. The other issue that we need to be careful of now as well is the challenge in collecting the licence fee as well, because people are saying, well, you know, this wasn't transparent, this wasn't upfront, you know, why should we now pay the fee? So it's important It's important that we need to get this sorted at the earliest possible date. OK, look, we're going to have to leave that there for now. My thanks to Colin Burke and to Verona Murphy. We're coming into us this evening. Up next, we take you to Paris and why a shooting of a 17-year-old boy has triggered a massive outpouring of anger and violence on its streets. France is once again braced for a night of violence. The country has seen a number of days of street riots following the shooting of a 17-year-old boy in a Paris suburb earlier in the week. This was the incident in question. These are the moments before the police fire a shot. Well, earlier I spoke to news correspondent Ross Cullen in Paris and I began by asking him what we know about the shooting. Yeah, good evening, Kira. On Tuesday, there was the killing of a 17-year-old boy by police. But it is the account given by law enforcement in the immediate aftermath of that killing at the traffic stop, which has really sparked the anger, because it's not just the death of the 17-year-old boy, Na'el, which has really caused these riots to spiral. It's the fact that the police said that the car was driven at them, and so they fired in self-defence. But this video, filmed by a passerby and verified by French media, does show a stationary car. French police officials standing next to the car, an open driver's window, a gun pointed in through the window, and then the gun is fired at point-blank range, killing the teenage driver. The car then careers uh, out of control into a wall and injures another passenger who is in the car. That is why there has been so much anger over uh, this issue, which has spilled out from Tuesday night around the Paris suburbs to Wednesday across all of France. And now here we are with the authorities fearing a third consecutive night of violence, riots and arson on the streets of France. Talk to me about the march that we saw today that was led by the victim's mother, the turnout and maybe more significantly the real tensions between those protesters and the police. 6,000 people joined Nael's mother on Thursday afternoon for a march through Nanterre in the western Paris suburbs where the shooting took place on Tuesday. She was wearing a white T-shirt saying justice for Nael, uh, justice for her son, and she says she has lost her best friend. She's lost her baby, but she said she's not crossed with the police force, just with that one officer who fired the fatal shot. Uh, after the march, there was a deterioration in the security situation. Uh, we did see clashes between protesters and police, which authorities feared could well have been a precursor to what might come on Thursday evening into the early hours of Friday morning. I saw the Interior Minister speaking today saying they needed to contain these protests and talking about sending 40,000 police officers out onto the streets tonight. How are things there at the minute? 
Yeah, Kira, huge numbers of law enforcement on the streets. 5,000 have been deployed in Paris alone, 35,000 across the rest of the country because these protests spiralled from being just in pretty much in Paris on Tuesday to nationwide on Wednesday evening. The Interior Minister hoping that the massive police presence on the streets will help to suppress some of the violence, to stop some of the arson. We saw schools torched, we saw city buildings uh, attacked, we saw buses on fire, cars on fire, even a tram on fire. If you imagine uh, the Lewis in Dublin, one entire tram carriages in flames. Uh, there have been fireworks set off, hundreds of people have been arrested over the past two days, dozens of police officers have been hurt, and so the Interior Minister is hoping that this evening, this Thursday evening into Friday morning, they will be able to get a handle on a possible third straight night of violence. All right, we'll leave it there. Thank you for bringing us that. Jack Horgan Jones and Ray Gilligan and Gina London are still with me. And Jack, I think it is worth pointing out that this 17-year-old boy was of Algerian Moroccan descent, I believe. And people might recall the riots in France back in 2005, where two young African boys um, were shot, I think, or they were killed in a police chase. Yes. And it led to huge protests and riots in France. Is there a chance this is going to be a repeat of that? I think there's every chance of it. I mean, those, those 2005 riots went on for three three weeks and there was a state of emergency declared in France. So I don't think we're, we're quite at that level yet, but that's not to underplay the seriousness of what is happening in Paris and in wider France tonight. There's 40,000 police officers mobilised, 5,000 in the capital alone. And I think that this is really bringing to the surface the fact that France, when it comes to race relations, is probably second only to the United States in failing to kind of reconcile you know, the, the communities that live within France, its own colonial past, the migration patterns that has given rise to. And, you know, there has been, I suppose, a failure of integration over the years. And, and there's and always race, this simmering tension. There is, and ra race there and France? migration has spilled over into French politics in a very serious way and interacted with other things. Like, so, for example, the police are empowered in France under 2017 legislation to shoot someone for failing to stop with a, uh, for failing to comply with an order to stop. Um, that dates back to legislation brought in after that terrible truck attack in Nice. And you can see the reasonable grounds for that legislation when it's invoked in that context. But when it's invoked in the context of a traffic stop, when like a, an underage boy is shot dead for driving off and then the police seek to portray it as a more dangerous situation than it was and claiming he was driving towards them, that's rapidly disproven by social media footage. That's a tinderbox. And I think that's why people are, are terrified terrified, right, quite rightly concerned about how volatile this situation might end up being. And we'll see what happens there tonight, as you said, 40,000 police on the streets, but a huge amount of tension yeah. and anger in France. I just want to move on to another story, Andrea, that you have been covering extensively on your own programme this week. It's a big GAA weekend. It's the quarterfinals. We knew always that two of the matches were going to be behind a paywall. Mm. We were told that, that being, of course, GA Go. It's going to be the Kerry Tyrone and the Armagh Monaghan matches. And even though we knew it, and we've discussed this at length before, people were still irate about it. They were, yeah, very angry about it, actually, on the on the show yesterday. And I, I know um, on local radio and Kerry, on, on Radio Kerry there as well, um, Essentially, like, look, you're always going to have the people, there is the sky hangover, effectively. You're always going to have the people that are just anti-paying um, to watch GAA behind, behind the paywall. Separate to that, though, I suppose what has really um, antagonised Kerry GAA fans is the fact that only one of the Kerry Championship matches so far this year has been on terrestrial free terror television. Uh, every other game, matches, the four, so four of them have had, um, GAA Kerry fans have had to pay to watch 
the remaining uh, four games. And, and now, of course, uh, this Saturday's game, of course, the same thing is, is going to happen again. So if you haven't previously paid, I think it's your €80 Euro annual subscription, um, it'll be €12.99 Euro to watch it. Now, the other thing, I suppose, that has uh, exacerbated the issue in Kerry is the fact that you have concerns around broadband um, and the strength around the broadband you know, suitability in, in parts of the county uh, beyond the, the main large towns. Um, so I suppose that coupled with the fact that, you know, as I said, Kerry have had just one free-to-watch championship match. Uh, a lot of Kerry fans not happy about this. And then obviously if the cost, if you do try to decide to come to Dublin, you have the cost of the travel to Dublin from Kerry. There was a question mark over trains being provided earlier this week as well. I understand there is now more trains. Um, but look, I was talking to other fans during the week to Kira, and, you know, some of them say it's €40 Euro for the two matches, uh, Armagh Monaghan, Kerry to Rome this Saturday. So other fans see it as good value. Yeah, I think it's 80 everybody. euro, isn't it, for the subscription? And for that, you get, I think, 40 matches across the years. So odd, some yeah, people yeah. might say Absol it's not It's not. It's not the end, end, end of the world. But um, the it's, 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 it's the principle of having to pay to watch. I mean, it's not a new thing. I mean, it's this similar deal that's been there previously from Sky, but a lot of fans will talk about the fact that it's not as simplistic as just turning on your Virgin or RTE. There's obviously a whole login process that is to go with that. It's very much dependent on the strength of your internet. You know, and, and that, we just that have a issue. different relationship with GA than we have with other sports. Absolutely. Country, don't yeah. you? If you are, Gina, going to travel down to watch one of the matches because you're not going to pay for your GAA go. You want to put a bit of extra change in your car because the dreaded tolls are going up from this Saturday, I think by 30, 30 cent, cent if you don't yeah, have unregistered. Um, it registered. What is it about those particular charges that seem to wind people up so much? It's because we take these infrastructure things for granted. It's because our mindset is that, you know, we our taxes would pay for this. Why are we having to have an additional toll on top of it? And it's frustrating. And, and we've paid for thing. it already. We already pay for it. So why are we having to pay for it more? Why is there a special highway? I remember when I first moved here again with my recollections, but the whole M50 magic toll that you don't even know you've paid it because there wasn't an actual barrier that you went through. But now I got the e-flow thing, so it doesn't feel quite as painful because that little beep happens and it goes out of your account. But yet, for people that are having, that are still paying when they're stopping and putting in the change or swiping their card, it's just that little extra feeling. And it is frustrating. And it does go to the thing of what is our, what is our tax dollars getting paid for? Why, why is this happening? Then also back to the communications. How well were we told this in advance? I had to go do some work on eFlow just this past week. And even there, it doesn't say, oh, as a reminder, there's going to be an increase. Maybe that's by design. We'll see. I just finally want to go to the census figures. Um, there was a lot of talk about people, I suppose, exiting Dublin because of COVID. You know, we all now have hybrid working or remote working. Um, but the figures we show from the census, from this deep dive into the 2022 census, that that didn't materialise at all, Jack. No, but I think there's an interesting trend around the kind of the satellite towns around Dublin and I'll be lynched by, by everyone from those towns by, by describing them as satellite towns. But like the reality is that we have a very, uh, very poorly weighted country. It's all weighted towards the capital. And unless you work in certain industries, you kind of have to live or at least work in the capital. So I think you see the growth of really significant towns in and around the kind of the, the outer reach of the commuter belt. And I think the commuter belt, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah. But I think that life in those towns is something that perhaps we don't consider as much. And you know, like, there's a significant amount of the population now living in, in town Ireland, you know, and, and, you know, what their interests are and how they're catered for. A lot of young families living there obviously can't afford to live mm -hmm. in the bigger city. 
cities and, and facing long commutes. So I think that, you know, as a political element, you know, the interest of those people will start to become um, more represented and I think a bigger, a bigger factor electorally as well. Uh, there was one other thing that really caught my attention. Of the four million people um, living in the state who are state-born residents, 75% of them still live in the county that they were born yeah. in. I feel like an intrepid explorer. What about us? All the way from Donegal down to Dublin, you too. <laughs> we have yeah. a sense of county here, don't we? Well, very much so, but it's, it's Drogheda people, isn't it? 44,000, it's one of the, one of the, the largest yes. town now, but it's um, Drogheda has the largest proportion of people from Drogheda who still remain hardcore to Drogheda town and have stayed there, followed by Dundalk and, uh, and Swords as well. So. All right, okay, look, we're going to leave that there for now. Gina, you're completely international, so you are. We could all learn from I'm you. a little far from home. Uh, that's true. it from us. Our programme is available as a podcast, but from all the team here, good night. Take care. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.